And the old ship of Zion is in the dark. While it is yet today, harden not your heart. Make sure that your business is fixed with the Lord so that you will have your ticket and you can get on board. Amen. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. Amen. As a matter of fact, let us take a look at a different text. Amen. The the gospel according to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. 14, verse 13. And we find these words. In the gospel according to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. I want to talk to you a few moments from the thought, ministry, Jesus style. Ministry, Jesus style. In the context of the passage that we endeavor to impact this day, we must realize that this gospel written by the Apostle Matthew was written to portray Jesus as king. King over a kingdom that was not like the kingdom of this world. At another place, he told Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world, but it is of another realm. So once again, we are reminded 
that working in the kingdom of God must be 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of this world. It is diametrically opposed to the system of this world. Because the system of this world is designed by an evil one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life. And life more abundantly. While the world is setting folks up to die, Jesus is setting up folks to live. Jesus came for the explicit purpose of dying so that we might live. And not just live and sustain, but live abundantly. So every born again believer's ultimate goal is to enter in to the experience of the abundant life. And Jesus, time and time again, is giving us a prescription for what it means to really live. It is unfortunate in our contemporary land that many of those who name the name Jesus believe that they're living, but they're really dead. They're dead in the lifestyle that they're living because it's opposed to the lifestyle that Jesus has prescribed. We've got many Christians who are holding tight when Jesus said to let it loose. We've got many believers who are trying to figure out and trying to work out their direction and their future when their future is really in God's hands. Jesus at one place said, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for nothing. Jesus said, he said, I already know your needs before you even ask. He says, by worrying, will you add one cubit to your stature? Will you get any taller? Will you get any stronger? And the answer is a rhetorical no. So as every born again believer must deal with and come to grips with is the idea of the fact that we are to live according to the power of God and not the power of ourselves. Because when we look at the problems and the issues of life, amen, and we put them up against the power that we have in ourselves, we find that we're too weak to overcome them. We don't have enough money We're not smart enough. We don't have enough connections, amen, to overcome the things of this world. But I heard in the world that Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. But the thing happens with us is that we have a king who has already defeated our enemy, has already brought down the walls of our enemy's kingdom. But what we do is we start walking outside of the covering of the king and trying to do things the way we think they ought to be done. And then we find ourselves in a place where we feel empty when we should be full. So today as we begin to look at ministry Jesus style, 
we will find out that the ministry of Jesus Christ does not have all of the stipulations that a lot of times we as church members try to put on the ministry. And we will find out that Jesus has another plan for you to be full instead of the plans that we come up with. So let's look at the text. Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. The first thing we see here is that if we would be able to cross-reference this in other texts in the New Testament, we would find out in the Gospels that Jesus goes to get by himself so that he can pray. So that he can spend some time with his father. Amen. The one who gave him his power. The Bible says that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He said, and when we saw in another text that it was like a dove coming down from heaven. To signify that the father who said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He anointed him with the power to minister. The Bible says in another place that Jesus emptied himself. See, Jesus had all of the power of the deity of God in him, but he decided to lay it aside to be a normal man. I didn't say a regular man. I didn't say a contemporary man, but a normal man. Because what a normal man should be is what Adam was before the fall. So Jesus came as a second Adam. To give us the example of how we as born again believers living in him ought to live. Jesus Christ did not live according to his own thoughts. But he says, I do only what I hear of the father. So we must ask the question, when we get ready to do the things of God, are we doing only what the father says? Or are we picking up and doing what we think we ought to be doing? Are we allowing ourselves to be deceived in believing that ministry is one thing when it's actually another? So as we look at this text, we find that in every believer's life, in order to be a real minister of God and be effective, you must have an effective prayer life. You must have a time where you set apart to be alone with God. Because there's no power outside of the power of God. Amen. If we're going to be about anything, we got to be about it by the power of the Lord. The prophet Zechariah said it right when he said, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. We're not going to get anything done if we don't do it by the power of God's spirit. So we see that in order to get in in concert with God, we got to get along with God sometimes. Amen. And we got to be able to talk with him and walk with him and to hear from him that we are his own. We got to be in a place that we have fellowship with God. So easily we can get caught up in the busyness of life and it be weeks on end before we really pray to the Lord. For we really get along with the Lord and talk about the personal things of our lives with God because God got some things to deal with us personally amen each one of us that we need to get rectified amen so that each person brought into the corporate relationship can be a more effective member but it all starts with prayer we see in the text 
that Jesus by now had gotten to be a celebrity, if you will. Amen. They knew who he was and they knew about his effectiveness in ministry. We notice in the text that when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. When they heard that Jesus was somewhere close, they made their way to the Christ. The multitudes. The multitudes were not just Israelites and those who believed in God, but it was a mixed mash of those who, who were downtrodden and dis, disenfranchised and dejected, those who were believing and those who were not. But one thing they knew for sure, that there was something different about this man, Jesus. Wow, wow. And so Jesus says to you and I before he left here, he said, as I was sent, so I send you. So I asked the question today, of each and every one of us, does the world see something different in us? Is there something about us that's more attractive than what they can get in the world? Or are they just seeing the same thing warmed over when they see you and I? One thing for sure, they knew that there was something different about Jesus. And you know what? They knew that he cared. The reason why so many people were following Jesus is because they knew that he cared. They knew if they were going to find an answer to their problems, they could find them with Jesus. So folk from cities all around were trying to get their way to Jesus. So then that puts us in a contentious position because now that we know so as I was sent, so I send you, what does the world see when they see us? Do they see the Christ? Do they see some folks that can solve some problems? Do they see some people to at least know somebody who can solve their problems? Or are we undercover agents when we're in the world? Do we just look like everybody else? Is there nothing peculiar about us? Is there nothing that sets us apart that somebody, even if they, in the midst of everybody else, try to scorn you, that by night they'll come like Nicodemus and say, will you pray for me? Or do they just see us as part of this mosaic and just another piece in the puzzle without any significance at all? In the year 2016, as we began to live out our lives here, these are the kind of questions that we need to ask ourselves. We need to do an introspective of our lives and look at how we walk during the week. Are we walking according to the dictates of the Christ so that the world sees the Christ in us? Well. That the world knows that there's something different about them. That the world knows that they've got a love that's not like the love of the world. That they know that there's some folks that got compassion for those who are down. Even the CEOs of a company, no matter how much money they have, they still got problems. You can't get out of this life without having problems. Job said it right that a man born of a woman's life is short and full of trouble. And it doesn't matter if you're the richest man of the world or the poorest, you got problems. But it's good to know that you and I, who know the Christ, have a problem solver that lives in us. Amen. So when we look at our text, 
We see that and when Jesus went out and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. There is a difference between empathy and compassion. There's a difference where empathy can feel sorry for someone but not act upon that feeling of sorrowfulness. But compassion goes further to say, here is a problem and what can I do about it? Jesus would not let this multitude just sit there in their anguish. Jesus looked to what had been given to him and he took what he had and he gave it to others. He was gifted with healing and so he healed their sick. And every born again believer is gifted with at least one gift. So how are we losing our gift to the benefit of somebody else? One of the things that we must understand about the church is it's not a country club. The church is not assembled for the benefit of its members. The church is the only organization which is also an organism that is assembled for the benefit of its non-members. I want that to soak in a little bit. This church is not a country club. It's not a place where members come together for the benefit of their own members, but it's the only organization which is an organism who's a symbol for the benefit of its non-members. Jesus has said through the Apostle Paul that every born-again believer has been given every spiritual gift in high places. So the thing that we ought to be about is giving. Paul says, and repeats the word of Jesus because it's in red. He said it is more given, more blessed to give than to receive. So one thing that should mark the church when the church is functioning in the way that Jesus has commanded us is to be a place that gives. It is a place that gives because true love cannot be without sacrifice. And sacrifice does not happen without giving. Giving of your time, treasures, and your talents. So anytime a Christian is sitting down on their talent, whatever it may be, you're out of the will of God. Anytime a believer is holding on to their money and not giving to those who cannot give anything back, you're out of the will of God. Anytime a believer has time, but they spend it on things that concerns themselves and not ever to spend anything on time with people who can't give anything back, you're out of the will of God. The kingdom of God is 180 degrees opposite of the kingdom of this world. So as we look at this text, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He began to do something about the situation. But he didn't just stop there because some people may get to the point and say, but that was Jesus. This is me. Well, this story has an answer for that as well. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. And the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves 
food. Now, because we know the totality of this story, we could easily start to look at the disciples in a negative way. We could easily look at them and say, what kind of disciples are they? They just tell the folks to go their way. They say, go to the villages and find food. But if you look at this text, it makes sense why they said what they did. Remember, they says in verse 15, this is a deserted place. They said, it's a place, there's nothing here, master. There's, 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 no, there's no stores on the side. There's no greenery. There's no, there's no food growing in the fields. This is a deserted place. There's nothing to eat here. And it's getting late. So they have a form of compassion because they're saying, hey, these people need to move. It's 5,000 folk out of here besides women and children. And it's getting late. It's going to get dark and hard to see. They need to move now and get to the villages where there's something to eat. But Jesus is taking the time right now to show the disciples something that every disciple of Christ needs to know. This is an opportunity for him to teach. It's an opportunity for him to show us what we are in him. Even in a deserted place, God is able to bring fruit when the life of God is within you. Look at the text. When they say these things, Jesus says to them, he says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Verse 16 is very instructive to the saints of God. Because we can get so caught up And saying, well, there's this program over here and that program over there that the folks can find help for their problems. And that's good in some cases, but it cannot be the end all and the be all. Because God did not establish government programs to replace the church. It doesn't matter how those programs are set up. Those things are not anointed like the church is. There's things that the church will always be able to do that the world will never be able to do. We we have the keys to the kingdom. The world cannot boast that. It is us that have been given the gospel message. It's us that have given the keys of life. So Jesus now doing ministry Jesus style, said, no, don't send them anywhere. You give them something to eat. And God is saying to us, amen, to not run everybody every other direction, but sometimes it's for us to do the work of taking care of them. Look at the text. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, we hear only We have here only five loaves and two fish. But then verse 18 said, he said, bring them here to me. Put a pen here in 17 and 18 when we look at ourselves as a church. We may get discouraged and say, well, it's only a few of us amongst problems of so many. But the deal is, Whatever the problem is, we got to bring it to Jesus. 
First of all, we have been established to be the people to bring the problems to Jesus. And Jesus gives us the answer to give to them. And we find in the text that when they brought him here to him, then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Jesus Christ did not sit down with a pencil and paper and start trying to calculate out how many times he was going to have to break the loaves and fish to feed 5,000. Because it didn't matter how many times he broke that down, it wasn't going to be enough. But even Jesus himself does something that's instructive that we must do. He first of all lifted it up to the Father and gave thanks. Do you know what that showed? That showed faith in God. Jesus knew what he saw was not enough. But who he knew was enough. So how many times do we get in front of a tough problem and feel like we cannot Because what we see is not enough. We must remember who we know is enough. Because God has a way of multiplying what you give. He can give back to you. And this is an object lesson in this text for the people of God. When he set down the multitudes and he lifted it up to heaven and blessed it and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes, something miraculous was beginning to happen. He only had two little fish and five loaves of bread. He had 12 disciples. So before he could give to all the disciples something had to be stretched. Something had to multiply. This is one of the principles we must know about giving in the church. If you want to have more, you must give more. God wants to use a faithful few to show that it's not about us, but it's all about him. He uses 12 disciples and the Christ to feed 5,000 men Besides women and children. This shows us that God has an ultimate or a, a, un, un, a unrepented supply. You cannot use of everything that God has. Amen. So when we get ready to start ministering to others, we can't start looking at what's on our ledger. We can't start looking and say, well, we don't have enough. We've got to give anyway and trust God to replenish. That's what God has called us to be. That is something peculiar about the church, that they are givers. And that they realize that their supply is not coming from man in the first place. It's coming from God. So we see in the text as we come to a close, we see that in verses 20 and 21, so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Saints of God, today, I want you to know that in order to see and experience all God has for us, we must be about giving 
And just not about giving, but also giving in situations where we can't see our way through. That we've got to see problems that are bigger than us and not look to our own solutions, but look to the Father that which is in heaven. We got to realize that we can't be God given no matter how we try. And when you are doing ministry, Jesus style, what you find out that is nowhere in this text did Jesus give to these multitudes so that they would go to the temple. He was not concerned about whether there was added ministry or added membership to the temple, but he was concerned about showing love to the multitude. Do you not know that ministry is not about membership count, but it's about testimony and witness of the love of God. We show the love of God when we give to those who cannot give in return. And we also show the love of God to those who could give, but they have decided not because we give anyway. See, when we give and we minister, we ought not be looking for a return on our investment. That is not what he has called us to be. And so Jesus Christ is a Christ who is compassionate. He's looking for those who have not, and he wants to give to them. He doesn't give so he can get a return. He gives so that he can show his love for them. And so every day in every ministry in every way, we ought to have a mindset of giving without respecting or expecting something in return. Amen. Because there are things that we will do in our lives, amen, who will have a lasting impact that we may be dead and gone before we see. Amen. It may be in glory before we ever see what the result was. As I'm closing, I want to uh, give a little story that I heard from a man who was down in Branson, Missouri. He was working at Sight and Sound, an 81-year-old man who told me a story about his life. He told me about when he was in his early 20s that he went to a revival meeting and he heard a message from a preacher that told him that he needs to stop living like a wolf and start living like a sheep. Now, when you hear that, you say, why did that have such an impact on him? Well, one of the things is you don't know what God is doing with what you say. The Holy Spirit has a way to anoint things that you would think would be a totally different way and it's used for the kingdom's building. So this man, he said for 18 years, he went to bars and he was bar hopping and living a life. And he said, but every time he would go out and he would do these things, that that message kept coming back to his mind. For 18 years, he kept hearing, you need to stop living like a wolf and start living like a sheep. That man for 18 years tried to live one way, but the message of God never left him. And he said after those 18 years, he submitted his life to Christ. And when he submitted his life to Christ, he went back looking for that preacher. But when he got back to the town where that preacher was, he found out that the preacher had died. 
So that preacher will not know what his effect he had on this man until he gets to glory. So that's why it's so important not to be looking for an immediate return. Not to be looking for give once and then everybody starts giving to you. Because you don't know how long it's going to take for God's message and God's experience in their life to come to fruition. So the issue here for you and I is just to keep giving. No matter how unfruitful it looks to us, keep giving. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, was in the garden of Gethsemane praying not only for the disciples, but for you and me. It wasn't going to be long before the Christ was going to die. But he was still doing what he did for you and me. He went from judgment hall to judgment hall. They whipped him all night long. But he had you and me in mind. He didn't know at that time, amen, amen, in his physical body where we would be. But he knew spiritually because he was God. But he didn't go for a return on investment right then. Amen. But he gave. He gave his life one Friday evening on the outside of the walls of Jerusalem in a place Golgotha's Hill. They put nails in his hands and nails in his feet for you and for me. It's been almost 2,000 years later. Amen. But the work that Christ did is still given. So I contend with everybody today in whatever way Christ is working in your life. Would you keep on giving? Even though you don't see a return right now, keep on giving. Because you don't know how down the road these things will affect. You don't know who's going to come to Christ and become preachers and teachers, become ushers and singers. You don't know how he's going to work, but you need to keep on giving. And one of these days, and it won't be very long, That the dead in Christ shall rise and they that remain shall be caught up in the air. And there will be a great celebration. There will be a coronation. And we will then see the effects of our work here on earth. But one thing's for sure, if you don't plan, then nothing will come up. So while you're living now, while it is yet today, keep on planting and keep on watering. For it is God that gives the increase. And we must know that as we work in his vineyard, it is his to give and it is his to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But keep on doing and don't be weary in well-doing. Because after a while that your crown is stored up in heaven and the righteous God, the wonderful king, will come in the twinkling of the eye and he'll have it in his hands. Don't let the world discourage you or cause you to sit down on God. Let that fire that burns within have its way. Because they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Keep on pressing, children, no matter what you see as the result. Because God has the ultimate result in his hand. Praise the name of the Lord. At this time, the doors of the church are open. 
if there is somebody here who does not know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their Savior right now you can get to know him just where you are it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been God is able to meet you just where you are he says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you shall be saved you can say to the Lord I am a sinner in need of a savior Lord, forgive me of my sin and come live in me. And give me that peace that surpasses all understanding. Give me that joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away. Lord, here is my life to be in exchange for your life. Let me live for you today. And Jesus will come in and he will change your life. He will give you a renewed vigor for him. He will give you a thirst for his word. He will give you a thirst for his peace and his joy. But you got to give your life to him. I contend today that you should not wait another minute, another second, nor another hour. Because it is not promised. You must give your life today. You're not in charge of your life. But right now you've been given that opportunity. And so you can give your life today. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the cross for you.
Amen. There is still plenty of good room. 